If you have a Bible, turn to John 17. John 17, and we'll get there in just a little bit. Um, but before we do that, I want to share just a, a few videos. I want to uh, share some things that I have seen, and then it'll fit in with uh, John 17. Um, but a couple weeks ago, about two weeks ago, uh, I went up to Grand Rapids to uh, Cornerstone Community Church, and there joined with, uh, I don't know how many, but uh, at least over 500, maybe 1,000 college students. And uh, they joined together. Uh, they come together once a month uh, at these gatherings called the Unity Gatherings, and it's an organization that we are well aware of called Met by Love uh, that puts these uh, on and, and brings college students from all over the place uh, together for uh, one Monday night a month. Um, on the other Monday nights, they are having worship gatherings at their own uh, colleges and uh, come together for hours just to seek the Lord and to worship Him and to, to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But I was blown away a, a couple Mondays ago when uh, I was there and I just stand in the back amongst all these kids that are worshiping, that are going for it, that are just declaring on that Monday night the holiness of God. I was standing there and all of a sudden I was really struck when they started singing a song, a song that's probably familiar to you. Um, this is what they sang. Go ahead and play that video. song? I was blown away because there I was just with the college students and just in a moment just they started singing that song and I was brought back to 1995 the chapel at Calvin College when the Lord wrecked my heart over that song and just singing taking my sin across my shame like just that whole thing like and just the lifting up the name of Jesus and here, like, the styles have changed, even though they've gone like a little retro. They're like wearing the baggy sweatshirts from back in the 90s. So maybe the styles haven't changed all that much, but styles change, um, seasons change. But here was another generation of college students lifting up the name of Jesus, seeking the face of Jesus, wanting to give their, their all, their whole heart to Jesus, like just blown away by his love and his compassion for him, for them. Reminded me of what happened uh, around that same time, 94, 95, uh, a move of God that happened at Hope College. And uh, there's been a book that has been released just recently by the chaplain at that time, the dean of the chapel, uh, Ben Patterson, and he reflected on his time at uh, Hope College. And uh, there's the cover of the book, and it was it's titled, When God Showed Up. And Ben, uh, who's a friend, and just shares about the time that God showed up in a very tangible way at Hope College. And in April of uh, 1995, there were lines of people uh, down, Dimnit, down the aisles of Dimnit College, Dimnit Chapel, sorry, and uh, just coming forward and confessing sin and then being embraced by their friends and encountering the love of Jesus. Cece was there, others were there, and here was a time, again, when a group of college students were hungry, hungry for Jesus. 
just wanted to be overwhelmed by the love of Jesus, wanted to encounter his goodness, wanted to give their lives wholeheartedly for him. And, and since that time, um, many have gone to the, the ends of the earth sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. It was a movement that went to the nations. Last weekend, I was not here, um, but I was at Camp Geneva with a group of middle school students. And frankly, I was blown away by their hunger for worship. There was some conversation leading up to the, uh, the retreat when uh, people were like, well, let's just sing one song. They're middle school students. They're not going to be that into worship. We started one song, and all of a sudden, the, the looks on their faces, these are middle school students, just their expression of joy and wanting to worship and it, not wanting it to, st- it to stop. And so I was the one who was speaking, and I looked at the worship leader, and I went, "Hey, yeah, keep it going. Like, they're hungry. Let's just keep worshiping Jesus. Here's a little glimpse of what happened. So you see that. It's pretty cool. It's like a lot of energy in that room with a bunch of uh, middle school students. The smell wasn't super bad. Um, But here was like hearts that were on fire for Jesus. But you think like, okay, that's middle school students. That's a lot of energy. That's, uh, you know, just they're all together. Um, But here I want to show you another moment. And this moment, I want to set this up. This moment came from 11 o'clock on Saturday night after the main session had ended, after people had gone to their... their, um, their cabins, they came back for just a time of worship that wasn't um, required. It was totally like, it was up to them. And here, 200 middle school students came together at 11 o'clock at night, and this is what was going on with just a guitar. powerful. It went on till about midnight and the camp had to be like, okay, this is getting too loud. You guys got to gotta shut that down and go back to your cabins. And here was again, another generation hungry for Jesus. Hungry for Jesus. I look out of all, all of you and, and, I, and I see your faces and there is a, a hunger for Jesus. Like there always has been from generation to generation, there is just a hunger to know Jesus, to live for Jesus, to give one's life wholeheartedly for Jesus. I mean, it blows me away that like for thousands of years, people have encountered Jesus and have been transformed to the point where they're like, this is my life. Here I am. Take it. Take everything. But as I look at those moments and I look at the purity of those moments and just people wanting to give their whole heart to Jesus, I think about um, how people go from those moments and continue and then live their lives. And all of a sudden, like things um, come up. Things get in the way. There can be conflict in groups that they're a part of. And I I look at that and I I think back to a a message that I heard from Francis Chan, and he said something that really struck me, something that really like hit me as I was listening to this message. And he said uh, in a time of prayer, he felt this was impressed on his heart, that we have a culture of divorce within the church. We have a culture of division. We've inherited a culture of division within the church. 
where like for the first thousand, thousand of years, people were united. People were, um, you know, there was one church, you know, on the face of, 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 the, of the world. And then all of a sudden, about 1,054 divisions started to enter. And people argued over whether you can eat uh, unleavened bread or leavened bread during communion. 1,054. Another 500 years later, there was a reformation and there was uh, more division that, that came. And we have a lot of division within the church, a lot of different camps where people will identify themselves with this camp or that camp or this camp. Now, when it comes to Reformation and when it comes to uh, different movements that have happened, I believe that there are times when there needs to be a Reformation, that there are times when the church has gotten off and people need to be like, no, this is, this is the truth. This is who Jesus is. This is the life that we are supposed to be living. But I couldn't get out of my mind this picture that Francis Chan shared about that we've inherited a culture of divorce, of division within the church. Years ago, this kind of hit me. Um, it's about 2009, I believe. 2009, and that was back in the day when people wrote blogs. You guys remember blogs? You know, people wrote blogs. I had a blog. I shared like just information out there. I just shared like pictures of the family. Before that, it was like Zanga. Anybody remember Zanga? Anybody remember like MySpace? Like those things? Like, okay, this was the, the thing that followed after Zanga and MySpace. This was like early Facebook. Anyway, I wrote something out there. And somebody, I, actually what I wrote was just the different messages that I listened to. About every week I was listening to five or six different messages, people of different camps. And a person put this up on, the, uh, up on my uh, website. He said this about me. He asked me this question. He says, how sad, Dave? Talking about these different people that I listened to. You are too radical for the Reformed, but far too Baptist Reformed for Charismatics. No offense, but who are you, Dave? Like, that's a good question. Who are you, Dave? That's a, that's a great question. I'm still trying to figure that out. Who am I? But in that question, in that question revealed something to me for the very first time that we like to put people in camps. We like to divide. We like to say, are you this in this camp? Are you that camp? And, and it's come so far from just being purely about Jesus. We like to put labels on people, don't we? And here's the thing with labels. Labels can never fully define a person. Labels can never fully describe who a person is at the core of their being. And I look at that and I reflected on that this week and I think about the division that exists in the church and I, I ask two questions. What has that done to our relationships? Our relationships within the body of Christ. But also, what has that communicated to the world? How has that affected our witness to the world? I want you to look at John 17. And I want to read the whole thing uh, this morning. And we're just going to read it from the, the beginning to the end. And I'm going to read it out of the ESV this week. And next week, I want to uh, highlight a couple more things. And I'm going to read it out of a different version next week. But these are the words of Jesus. Like, this is Jesus. He had just talked to his disciples. He had just told them about the Holy Spirit who was to come. He told them why he was going to the cross. He had just poured out his heart to, before the disciples. He'd washed their feet. Um, he had talked to, to them about abiding in Christ and about abiding in Him, and apart from Him, they can do nothing. Like there was a lot that He just shared with them. And then He prays. And this is what Jesus prayed. And many times Jesus would go out and be alone with the Father for hours upon hours upon hours praying. But here is a moment that we get to see what is on Jesus' heart. What is He passionate about? What is like the very like, top of the, the, the list for Jesus? And this was his prayer. We get to hear the words that Jesus prayed. 
If you uh, want to follow along, if you have a Bible, turn to John 17. If you don't have a Bible and just have your phone, we do have uh, on the Bible app, you can uh, access uh, John 17 on the Bible app. Just go to Bible app, click on uh, more, and then on events, and then you'll find Restoration Church and uh, the, the passages there. But listen to these words of Jesus. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, talking to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm, praying, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and no one Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they they also may be sanctified in the truth. And here is where he prays for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me wherever I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you. I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And Jesus prays. And and what was, what did he pray for? I mean, you hear it all the way throughout. It's not like really a complicated question. What did Jesus pray for? I think about his prayer, and he first starts off and he says, Now, Father, I've done exactly what you told me to do. I was obedient. I came to bring you glory and honor. And he's praying and he's looking forward to being reunited with the Father. 
with the glory that he had before he came. And then he prayed over his disciples and he said, I haven't lost any of them that you've given me. And he prayed for the care and protection, which just blows me away, like the care that Jesus has for each of us. Like he prays over his disciples, prays over the ones that he, he spent three years of his life with. He prayed that God keep them. Like I don't pray for the world, I pray for them. And then he prays for us. Prays that we would be one. Uh, here's a, the, a couple of things that stood out to me as, uh, in this prayer. First of all, the thing that Jesus said a couple of times, he says, they are not of this world. They are not of this world. Look at these, these uh, verses uh, up on the screen. John 17, 14 through 16. Got it, Eliana? There it is. It said this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Twice. He says, you're not of the world. You're not of the world. We talk a lot about identity. This is our identity. We are not of the world. I know it sounds like, you know, super like E.T. and extraterrestrial, like out there. It's like, but you are not of the world. Who do you identify with? You know, this afternoon, we're going to watch a football game. Some of us will watch a football game. We'll watch the Lions take on the Chiefs. Should have been. And we will identify with one of those teams. We'll identify, we'll support them, and, and maybe even in other areas of our, your life, you identify with a person, you identify with a, a policy, you might identify with a political movement or whatever. We identify with people in our lives. And here Jesus said, as followers of his, we are not of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I love what Paul said. Paul said this in Philippians 3, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. He talks about um, just wanting to know Christ, but then later in Philippians 3, he says, uh, there are people whose eyes and whose minds are so on this world. He says, don't have anything to do with them. And then he says this, uh, Philippians 3, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Like, this is who we belong to. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enabled him even to sub subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are not of this world. Do you in your life find yourself too often tied with this world, identifying with the things of this world? I think Jesus is always calling us higher and reminding us that, that our home isn't here, that we belong, that we're citizens first and foremost to heaven. Like that we're the body of Christ, that we're connected together under one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the head. He's the king. He's the boss. We are citizens of his reign. But the other thing that hit me in, 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 in Jesus' prayer, and he says this over and over again, he's prayed that we would be one. That we would be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. And then he said, like, that, that they may be perfectly one, perfectly united. And I think about that, and I think about that. This is Jesus' prayer. This is the passion of his heart, that we would walk in such unity. But if this is his prayer, if this is his desire, we would know that the enemy would want to bring about division and chaos, right? I was reading in Ben Patterson's book, and he said, the first person to wake up in a move of God is the enemy. All of a sudden, there was a move of God. 
But then there was another move, a counter move, where there was uh, people who were bringing about division. If we know that the Lord wants unity, we know that the enemy wants disunity. I think about all the ways that disunity has come into the body of Christ. And all the ways that, that people will, going back to what was shared on my blog, all the ways that people will find themselves in different camps. I came up with a, a list of different things. You know, Jesus is the head. Scripture says that Jesus is the head of the church. That we are His body. If you look at the, the next slide, Jesus, like everything was created by Him and for Him. All things like, were, were created with the very purpose to bring Jesus glory. But I think over years, Eliana, if you want to put up that list, over the years, things have divided followers of Jesus. If Jesus is our main passion, our main purpose, our main aim, like, there's just a list of things where people have found themselves in different camps. First of all, like I, I hear this often, are you a word-based church or are you are a spirit-led church? People have divided over that. And here, both of them are biblical. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching. Holy Spirit, John 14 and 16, going to lead you, going to guide you, going to direct you in the way that you're going to go. But I've seen Christians split over, oh, are you a word-based church or a Holy Spirit church? Or the second thing, another thing under that, people have said, you know, logos. Like this is the logos, the very written word of God. We need to be about this. But then there's also another name for the word of God in, in the New Testament called Rhema which is a very time that a word, like God can speak a word in any given moment. Like the word, the written word says, love your neighbor. Rhema might come and say, all right, this is what your neighbor, this is how your neighbor needs to be loved. People have split over that. The next thing, I hear this all the time. People need truth. They need to know the truth. And then those who are on that side, are like uh, on the other side of that, no, they just need to be loved into the kingdom. They need grace. People have split over something that is biblical, something that Jesus was full of. John 1.12, he was full of truth, full of grace. The next thing, this one's interesting. People say like the God is sovereign. God, like nothing happens that is outside of his will. Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. God is in control and people will say he's sovereign. We need to talk about the sovereignty of God. But then also, there's this picture in Scripture that seems to show that God is movable. His heart can be moved. You think about James. James uh, says, you have not because you ask not. Matthew 7, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. You look at the Old Testament, and there's times where Abraham was going back and forth with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. And it seemed that God's heart was moved. But people have split over that. Here's another one. Um, fear of God versus friendship of God. I've heard people talk about, we need to just uh, talk about the fear of God, the awe of God, like, you know, just be holy. And then others are like, no, he's a friend. John 15, because I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. People have been on both sides of, of the camp in that, in that regard. Here's another one. When people talk about needing to grow in character, they'll hammer on the fruit of the Spirit. We need to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And there's others camps that will talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We need to be open to all the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, that God needs to just come in powerful ways. And then under that, you have more division that has resulted. Uh, next slide, Eliana. You have people who are like, we need to equip people, train people up. And then another camp's like, no, we need to empower people. We need to fill them with power to go out. 
And then another group will focus on a discipleship or, uh, Eliana, hit the next slide, growing, growing in our love for Jesus. And people are like, no, instead of discipleship, we need to go to the nations and share the gospel with the nations. The vision just continues. What's the next one, Eliana? Like I just was thinking of this list. People will focus on rest. We need to take time to rest and to be refilled and to, to be recharged. But there are some over there that will maybe focus on, on self-care and be like, yeah, we need just to relax. But then there's others that are like, no, we need to work. We were created to work. And people will be on both sides of those camps. And there's another one. Faith and works. Romans 5. By our faith in Jesus that we're made righteous. And then James says in, in James 4, focuses on work. Says, oh, I'll, I'll show you my faith by what I do. Here's another one. Ways that we divide. This is an interesting one. How do we do church? Is it a large group? Large gathering like this? No, church should meet in a smaller gathering. And we'll split over how to do church. And we'll even split over like things about church. Here's a, a next slide. Uh, you know, church needs to be orderly. It needs to have just like boom, 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 just go, go in order. And then some are like, no, it needs to be spontaneous. At any moment, God can move in a powerful way. We need to give room and sp space for the Holy Spirit to, to move. Here's another way that we split over church. Leadership. We need to focus on leadership and raising you know, leaders, and, and the Bible talks about that. But then others will say, no, we need to empower the body, that everybody has a voice. Everybody, God can work through anybody and everybody. Next one. Here's another one that has split uh, churches, split groups uh, for a long time over what we sing. People will say, like, no, it has, we, let's sing a hymn. Let's sing a song that is just rich in meaning. And they get that from the Psalms. Like The Psalms are, are filled with songs that are rich in meaning. But then there's other groups that are like, no, you just want to get lost in a chorus and sing it over and 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 over again. And that comes from Scripture. That comes from Scripture. You read Revelation. Revelation 4, it says they never stop singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, over and over and over and over again. Read Psalm 136. It says like, it's going through like all of these things about God, and then it says over and over again, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Over and over again. We split in so many different ways. And here's one that I won't get into um, today. Republican and Democrat. We split politically. Actually, I'll just say this. I'll say the, the late uh, Tim Keller said this. He says, you look at the church. You look at things that the church has been passionate about for years. The unborn. Caring for the unborn. It's been marriage. It's been the family. It's been racial inequality. Been social justice issues, been care of the poor. That's what the church has been about for so many years. And frankly, if you look at those six that I named, Tim Keller would say three are focused of Republicans and three are focuses of Democrats. But we split. We split in so many different ways. And I just look at that list and I and I think about the words of, of Jesus in John 17, and there's so much more that he has for us. Like, what would it look like if the church was united. And here's where I want to land the plane. You might be thinking, like, what does this mean for us today? I have a couple questions for you. Here's the big question. I don't want to look out and look at even others. I want us to look inwardly in our own hearts. And here's the question that I would ask you today in light of all of this. Where have you contributed to a culture of division? Where have you contributed to a culture of division? In, in the church? Maybe in your family, 
with other believers, maybe in relationships. I think for me, and I'll just confess this, like too often I find myself critical of others in the church. Too often I find myself critical of how people are, are living or acting, and it can lead to gossip. And I'll, I'll share like a specific example. I sat under a, a person who, a pastor who was gifted, so, so gifted at caring for the sick. He would go into hospital and he would just weep. He would weep. His heart like just was oozed with, with love for others. But I was critical of him because he would stand in the pulpit and I would just think, I just want him to, to preach better messages. I just want him to be this way. And it would lead to gossip and talking to other people. Or I would, be, uh, I would sit under a person who was a gifted teacher. Like could just teach like in powerful, powerful ways. And I would look at him and be like, oh, I just wish that he would care for people better. And that resulted in gossip. I think about like my life, like I've been too critical of others. And this happens in the church and this happens in relationships. We think of our spouses, we think of friends, and we're like, they're really good at this, but we want them to be this way. And we, we can get critical. And that criticism can lead to gossip and just be like, I wish... You know, I wish they, they acted different, even though they're so loving and so caring. I wish they could come up with an idea. I wish they were more visionary. We look at the body of Christ. And in a very practical way, we look at the hand. And we're like, I wish you could think for one. And we're critical of people. We criticize one another. But also another way that it's entered in my heart, in my life, I have too often found myself walking in so much pride thinking and looking at the church and thinking that I could do things better. Thinking, if, oh, if only I led a church, then oh, it would be perfect. It would be amazing. This is what 2,000 years of church history was like all moving towards. There's so much pride in my heart. And I share that because I want you to answer the question, where have you contributed to a culture of division within the church, within your family, within relationships? And here's the thing that blows me away, that, that, that draws so much concern out of my heart is the purpose of oneness. Jesus said this. He says, I pray that they would be one. Why? So that the world will know. So that the world will know Jesus, not us. So that the world will see Jesus. I think our division, no, I don't think I know our division is causing our witness to become weak. A church looking at us and saying like, they can't even get along. Like, what's going on? Like, what if there was so much unity that existed within the church? What would that do to a dying and lost world? And so with that, I would ask you a couple more questions. Are people drawn to Jesus through your life? Are people drawn to Jesus through your life, through your actions, through how you're living every single day, how you're living? This past Thursday, I was hanging out with some friends of mine and, uh, that, don't, that aren't a part of Restoration. And one of them popped up and they said this. They said, I, I interacted with somebody in your community. And I'm like, oh, really? And I'm like, tell me about it. And they're like, yeah, I was blown away. This person challenged me so much with their life. I looked at their life and I'm like, wow, you're serving over here. You're giving this amount of money. You're doing this. You're doing this. I was, I was blown away and to the point where I said like, wow, this person is doing way too much. Like they're going way to the extreme. And then the person looked at their own heart and then said, uh, maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe there's complacency in my own heart, my own life. Your actions are speaking. But I want to constantly challenge us. Are people drawn to Jesus through your life? Are they drawn to Jesus through your life? But here's even a more important question. Are people drawn to Jesus through your lips? By what you say? By how you talk about others? 
by how you talk about the body of Christ? Are people drawn to Jesus through your lips, through your words? I responded years ago to that person who left that comment on my blog. This is what I said, and it's true to this very day. There's one part that uh, I would change, and you'll see it in a little bit. But I know this is the cry of all of our hearts, and this is actually the cry of Jesus' prayer, that we would be one so that the world would see Jesus. This is what I said. I said, Dear Mr. Anonymous, I am not a follower of a person, not a follower of John Calvin, John Wimber, John Wesley. Last time I checked, neither of them died for me. I'm not Reformed, I'm not Baptist, I'm not Vineyard, I'm not Charismatic, I'm not Pentecostal, I'm not non-denominational, I'm not Presbyterian, Methodist, or Catholic. I am not in competition with other believers or other churches. Last time I checked, we are all on the same team. I am a follower of Jesus. He is the only one who died for me and worthy of my life. I am daily trying to be obedient to God's word and what it says. I'm constantly in need of forgiveness because I mess up regularly. I'm trying to grow in hearing from God and being obedient to the Holy Spirit. I like listening to a variety of teachers because I can learn from them all. I am not 100% correct and neither are you. I'm passionate about Jesus, disgusted with religion, and hate it when followers of Jesus argue over petty issues. I am the husband of a beautiful woman named Cece. She is my best friend. I am the father of three beautiful girls. No, we are not trying to keep not going to keep trying until we have a boy. I hate it when people ask that question. <laughs> I am a runner. And so that's who I am. Honestly, there's even more to me than that. I say that and I share that example and um, worship team can come up. Because at the end of the day, the reason that I even talk about unity in February of 2024 is as we approach a year where we're going to see division. We'll experience division. Here's such an opportunity for the, the church to model a different way, to live a different way, so that the world can see Jesus. See, our whole goal is that Jesus would be lifted high, that Jesus would be exalted. Are people drawn to Jesus through your lips? Are people drawn to Jesus through your life? We're going to end with this song. I was thinking a couple weeks ago, Give Me Jesus. Is this the cry of your heart? Are you living your life, laying it down? Working towards unity. All for the glory of Jesus. Father, that's the the prayer of our heart. The cry of our heart. Jesus, that you would be so glorified. Jesus, and you've even prayed. You prayed that. That we would be one. Why? So that the world can see you. Father, where there's any division in our own heart, I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal that. You said that your followers are going to be one, all under the headship of Jesus. So reveal anything in our heart that is not a part of your kingdom. And continue to empower us and show us ways to live our lives wholeheartedly. In your name I pray.